Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I want to welcome you to another one of our Satellite Sisters Word Write Author Conversations. All summer long, we've been talking to great, fascinating authors about their work, everyone from Matthew Quick to Daniel Silva to Elaine Gage to Elisa Friedman. And today we have debut novelist Elizabeth Egan on the show. She spent a long time in the book biz, both as an editor and now the books editor at Glamour Magazine, but this is her first novel. Novel. And I think the themes of the sandwich generation, of being a working parent, of caring for your aging parents, of dealing with your babysitter, of having a marriage that's in flux, I think the themes of A Window Open will really uh, resonate with a lot of listeners today. I know I felt like I was on every page of that book, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Elizabeth Egan. If you want more information about Satellite Sisters or any of the author conversations I just mentioned, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. We have lots of links there for hundreds of podcasts. If this is your first time listening to Satellite Sisters, we welcome you. We do author interviews. We do uh, twice-a-week podcasts that you can find at SatelliteSisters.com or iTunes or Stitcher or a variety of listening spots all over the web. We're happy to have you. And up next, my conversation with Elizabeth Egan. A window opens. I'm Leanne Dolan with Satellite Sisters. We're back with one of our Satellite Sister Word Write interviews. It's really my pleasure today to talk to a debut novelist, but she has tons of experience in the book world, Elizabeth Egan. Her new book is called A Window Opens. And I have to say, I related to this book on almost every single page. Uh, it's a tale of a working mom who has to take a new job when her husband uh, quits his old job. She's caught up in sort of that sandwich generation of caring for older parents and young kids. And uh, she, like me, the main character, sobbed on the front porch when her babysitter quit. So I totally understood everything in A Window Opens, and it's my pleasure to talk to Elizabeth Egan today. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, Leanne. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, this is your first book. Like, are you super psyched that it's come out? Yes. I'm a little bit overwhelmed. It is really a dream come true. I, I never thought I would see this day, um, but I'm so incredibly happy. Your day job, you're actually the books editor for Glamour Magazine. How long have you been working in the magazine business and writing about books? I have been at Glamour uh, uh, for two years. And then before that, I was the books editor at Self for seven years. And I've always worked in the publishing industry. When I haven't been working at a magazine, I've worked for book publishers. I worked for one year uh, as a books editor, editing full-length books at Amazon. And then I came back to my magazine roots because I think that's where I flourish the most. Did it make it more intimidating for you to start a novel or less intimidating? All your knowledge, all your reading, you know, your understanding of the business, about what books sold and didn't sell, was that, does that, what delayed you from starting a book or what empowered you from starting a book? 
I think my experience working at Amazon and editing other people's books and realizing the editorial process is quite long and there's a lot of room for revision and back and forth and realizing that most of the authors I worked with had other jobs and managed to fit in the time to write a book. In terms of actually starting it, I would say that my experience as the recipient of conservatively 25 to 30, sometimes 50 books every day in my job at Glamour. <laughs> oh my gosh. It made it a little bit harder because yeah. I suddenly realized that all of the books that I had passed off, you know, kind of offhandedly and said, oh, it's not really for me or I don't cover or I don't like the font or the paper it's printed on. I don't like the author photo. Suddenly I realized that all those books were somebody's life dream. Like I'm like, this is for me. And, you know, really karma kind of comes back at you in that moment. So it was humbling. <laughs> I would say it was really, really humbling to sit down the very first day with a blank screen and set and think, wow, this is... <laughs> All those people, it's sort of like when you're having a baby and you look around and you, at the people around you and you, you think all these people have been born before <laughs> and suddenly you're trying to do it yourself and it's a lot harder. Would you like to issue a public apology now or yes, authors you have would. rejected based on author photos? <laughs> all of those books that landed on the giveaway table itself alongside the leftover fruit from photo shoots. I apologize. Um, I have, I used to be a very quick decision maker when I was opening my mail. I sorted the books into yes and no. And now I have yes, no, maybe send to this friend, read on vacation. I have, I have so many different piles. It's I'm nowhere near as efficient as I used to be because I have a lot more empathy, which is probably a good thing. Did you take a class to sort of write the fiction? How did you actually sit down? Because it's, a, are you a working mom as well? Do you have kids? Yes. And okay. I have, I have three kids and no, I didn't take a class. The last time I wrote fiction, I was a senior in college and that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when I sat down to write this book, I had never written, you know, in 20 years, I hadn't written anything longer than 3000 words. And I also happened to be writing it at my daughter's swim team practice. She t does this early morning swim team in the summers from 6 to 8 a.m. At, uh -huh. at a pool just far enough away from our house that it doesn't make sense to drive back home. And I sat at a, on a bench at the deep end and corny as it sounds, I literally just dove in and I thought, <laughs> I'm going to see where this goes. And I kind of, a friend had said, write 75 pages, don't read it over call me when you've written 75 pages. He, this is a friend who had written a book. And I called him after I had written the 75 pages. And I said, I, I'm done. I wrote the 75 pages. Can I send it to you? And he said, no, now you're a writer. <laughs> Keep writing. So oh, that's a good story. I know. It, it had a happy ending, but it could have gone very differently. Now, the book is very, it sounds like it's very personal. And again, because I think you nail a lot of the realities. There's, you know, a storyline of the of the marriage, a husband uh, kind of stupidly quits slash gets fired from his job. And so all of a sudden his wife becomes the primary breadwinner. 
there are kids at home and there's a lot of juggling there. There's a commute. You, The main character takes a job at a cool, hip tech company that she thinks is going to be the answer to her prayers. Uh, and it turns out to be none of those things. It's kind of a bait and switch work situation when she gets in. And then there's a, just a very personal, very moving storyline about caring uh, for parents who are sick in the middle of, you know, a classic sandwich generation um, situation. How much of that was your life? It's an obvious question, but I think you just, everything rings so true in the book, even the torture of commuting, you know, when you have young kids (laughs) at home, that's the longest hour of the day is that day when you're sitting in traffic or sitting on a train. And that's the hour that makes you crazy, not the 10 before then. So how much of that was personal or how much of it you just cooked up out of other people's experiences? A lot of it is is very true and near and dear to my heart. Certainly the commute. I live in suburban New Jersey and I commute into, now I commute in uh, downtown. I work in the World Trade Center, but I used to commute into Midtown. Um, and actually the original title for the book was The Round Trip because I really wanted it to have this backdrop of the train because there are so many of us sitting there every day. Um, the, work piece, the work piece somewhat shadows my experience working at Amazon, which is obviously a very big oh, okay. and, and difficult to navigate, but uh, doesn't exactly track. Thankfully, my experience there, I would say, was quite a bit more positive than Alice's was at Scroll, the company that she works for. The family stuff is is very autobiographical, except for the husband. I like to point this out whenever I talk to anybody <laughs> about my book. Yeah, okay, my husband, good. My husband in real life is my biggest stroke of luck and the greatest winner I know. He is not a um, a loose cannon like the dad in the book is, but he the dad in the book was probably more fun to write. Yeah. And definitely the part about the father getting sick and having throat cancer, a recurrence of throat cancer was is very true to my life. Although the timeline is different. In my real life, my father first got sick when I was 25 and he died when I was 30. And in the book, Alice is about to turn 40. Yeah. So in real life, my dad didn't know my kids. Um, he knew, well, he knew two of them, but they were, ta- they were, one of them was three months old when he died and the other was two. So um, it was a very interesting to write about, a, a, to write a character loosely based on my dad, because it gave me a chance to see what it would have been like if he had known my kids as real mobile, functional people. Which yeah, I bet that was very emotional, very emotional, Elizabeth. Yeah. It was, but it was easier than I thought it would be. It was actually really fun. I, I wrote those scenes with the dad and pretty much never went back and revised. They were the only pieces of the book that weren't heavily revised. And they came easily because he's still, you know, he's still very much in my head almost 13 years later, which is kind of a good thing, I guess. It's great. Is your mom still alive? Was she, has she been able to read the book? And that must be a yes. nice tribute to, I was nervous to her. For, she loved it. My, my, my mom and my sister read it simultaneously. And my sister called when she finished and said, I bet mom will love it. It's the, it is the best version of her. <laughs> so she, she really liked it. I was nervous because it does yeah. have some parts of our family life that are, are pretty private. And the, the moment that the father dies is maybe I'm giving too much away, but you, you pretty much know that he's nothing good is coming of his illness. Um, and it's, 
it's pretty similar to how it happened in real life. And on the one hand, I felt that that was a possible possible breach of everybody's privacy. But on the other hand, I thought this is something lots of people yeah. go through and it sticks with you forever. It's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. And I wanted to capture that moment of wanting to be with a parent who's not well and also wanting to be with your your own little kids and wanting to do well at your job. And I think when I was going through that, I thought that the, I thought it would be a very clear choice. Of course you have to be with your, your sick parent that you don't have a lot of time left with. Right. But it actually wasn't that clear that because you never have a moment where you realize exactly what's happening and how much time you, how little time you have it. Um, you, the rest of your life keeps ticking along and you, you still have to buy milk and you still have to tuck your kids in at night and you still have to answer work email. And in some ways those are the, those are the things that keep you going, but in other ways, they're the things that um, take you away from what really matters at that moment. A couple of years ago, I uh, lost both my parents in a year and, um, but I had like a senior in high school who was applying to college and my other son had like a horrible case of mono, like so sick. And there were days when I had to like leave him wrapped up on the couch and go take my parents to chemotherapy. And I, I honestly, Elizabeth, I don't even remember those days now. Like I think back, I think I was a crazy person. Like... <laughs> How did yes. I even, it was terrible, but it was exactly that. I was leaving all these things and balls up in the air and it was just nuts. And I think um, A Window Opens really captures that sense of what, what am I doing? What are these crazy choices I have to make? I mean, I really felt like a physical reaction when I was reading the book. Like I totally get this when she's leaving the work meeting to go to the dent doctor's office, you know, getting the phone calls from home about this and that, you know, that, that is not an easy thing to capture because it's so chaotic. And once you've been through it, you're like, how did I even get through it? I don't know. <laughs> You I don't, don't even know. remember that. People kept saying to me when I was going through that, well, you have your little children will keep you going. And I, I thought, have you spent time with a two-year-old recently? <laughs> <laughs> they don't keep you going. They, I mean, they do, but you're exhausted. And I wanted to show in, in Alice's character that, you know, the other worlds don't stop. She has several, she has three worlds she's existing in, her office world, her own family and the world of her parents and they all keep spinning and she's kind of jumping from one to the other like many of us are doing and feels completely overwhelmed. And also I hope, I think, has a pretty good sense of humor for the most part and a pretty decent support network in her husband, even though he goes, he's slightly yeah, her husband kind of goes south there. He does not handle his own unemployment and quote starting no. his own business well. I don't I won't I won't give away sort of the key there. But I think you really did capture, you know, what a modern marriage is like. Good years and bad, maybe good decades and bad. Absolutely. Some days you got to step up and some days you got to step out, you know. I mean, <laughs> certainly. So, and I think I also wanted to show the way that at that moment in life your friends are as important to you as they were back in high school or middle school or in any other phase of your life. I used to think that you grow up, you get a job, you have a family, and it's all about your family. But in my in my case, my friends are 
my savior in many ways, as much as my husband. And it was important to me as I was writing to show that Alice has this community of, of mothers and college friends and people who are helping her float along through the hard time. I think often in books, we never see the friends. It's either right. a book about friends or it's a book about family, but it's never about both. Or it's a book about frenemies, you know, that's sort Absolutely. of a popular theme in women's fiction is to kind of go at the women around you. But, you know, in my experience in real life is like the most unexpected people can step up and oh, uh, definitely, yeah. and the most unexpected people step out. You know, there are people who, who just don't know what to do. And then there are people who just show up. And um, I have a very good friend who was living in my neighborhood when my father was very sick. And one day I was getting my hair colored um, and just sitting there in the hair salon. And my friend Claire showed up with coffee and donuts. And she said, I'm just going to sit with you while you have your hair colored. And I thought, that's exactly what I needed at this moment. Yeah. And, you know, the people who say, what can I do? How can I help? There are those people, which is great, but then there are the people who just do it. And those are the people that I really remember. And those are the people I tried to put in the book. Liz, summer is coming up and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling there with your your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in in Bend for part of the summer, I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what uh, what, I... what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. No antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz, right? Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> nice to have something familiar there. <laughs> yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Liz, you know, we love talking about frame bridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, <laughs> because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, you I like did. to share? Would you like I know, to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, 
any day now that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leanne, they have already frame bridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the FrameBridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift-giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame, and FrameBridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, rate for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but FrameBridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds you like- you're going to be happy, okay? <laughs> That's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com or see a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's FrameBridge.com. Thanks, FrameBridge. Now, you've also created a great boss in the book. Uh, Alice goes to work for what she thinks is going to be a fantastic tech job, the job of a lifetime. It's creating the ultimate space for book lovers, and your main character is a real book lover. She's a book editor as well, part-time, but she takes this full-time job because she has to. And then there's a lot of pivoting in, in the mission of the company scroll, and the next thing you know, Alice is not creating a book lover's environment. She's basically reviewing violent video games for kids, but the boss is this woman who is at one you know, time inviting them all for Indian food and then the next minute tearing them down in a meeting. How did you create um, the boss? I loved her. She's sort of a, a conglomeration of several bosses, I would say. Thankfully, <laughs> nobody directed that I've really directly worked with. Um, a friend of mine worked for a company in the garment district where she had to, she had a, a similar dynamic with her boss. Um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to capture the feeling of working for somebody who's younger, because I think for many of us, that is something that's happening. We live in a, especially at tech companies, everybody is very young. Um, and it, it just creates this strange disconnect and generation gap. I've never worked for somebody who is as much, as young as Genevieve is and in a world as different from mine. But um, I am, a, I live in, in New Jersey. I'm a commuter. At Glamour, I work with plenty of people who are right out of college, living in Brooklyn, very hip. And luckily, they're very nice and I enjoy working with them. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. You, you're a little, sometimes you feel like a little bit of a dinosaur. Uh, and I try to find the humor in that. But there there are moments of... Um, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm a mom. I don't, I don't get this. I don't speak this language. My sister Liz works with a lot of youngsters and uh, she's learned in her job. She said recently, never reference the Kennedy assassination. Because <laughs> they That's so funny. have no idea what that you're is talking so funny. about. I mean, this is such a sad parallel, but when we moved, when Glamour moved into the World Trade Center, I realized that most of the people that I work with were very young on 9-11 and were nowhere in, the, it, it affected them very differently. I was living in New York at the time and 
I, to realize that my colleagues were like in grade school then, and I was in my twenties was, or maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's, it's just funny. They have very different cultural touchstones and I enjoy learning from them. I mean, I have a 14 year old daughter and she's sometimes impressed with the pop culture things that I know from working <laughs> with a lot of 25 year olds. Um, so anything, anything that makes you slightly cooler with your 14 year old is a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. So how long did it take you to finish a window opens? Because I, we have, I know we have a lot of listeners that listen to these word, write interviews and they're thinking, I, I would like to write a book or they listen for inspiration. And, you know, I'm a writer. And the one question I always get is where do you find the time? And my answer is you make the time. You don't find it. Yes. Gobs of time don't fall down. Uh, no. <laughs> here you go. Unless you get unemployed, which, well, that happened to me. So that, uh, that was a lot of time handed to me unemployment, but, um, where, where did you find well, that's how it started for oh, me. I okay. left my job at Amazon. And oh, so okay. I was unemployed for one summer. Okay. And I committed to working on a book for this two-hour stint in the morning at swim, at swim team practice. Okay. Okay. And then by the time I started my job at Glamour in September, I, um, I would say I had about 100 pages by then. And I was, a, I was very excited to start the job, but I was so committed to finishing the book that I was worried about how I would find time to do it. And so I decided to just work in 40 minute increments on the train to work in the morning and on the train home from work at night. And my only real rule was when I sat down on the train was just to type anything. And, you know, some days I, it, just wrote total nonsense. And other days I felt a little bit more hopeful, but, um, I just really committed to it. And the way that if you're in a great routine with exercise, you might do it five days a week and you just make time for it. I, I tried to approach write, the writing of this book, the way at, you know, for one brief shining moment, I committed to spin class five days a week. <laughs> That lasted for like a month, but this last, I found I really enjoyed it and it was a lot easier than going to spin class. And, um, I worked on, I would say altogether, it took about a year and, um, it was heartening to realize that you don't, not only do not have to sit down and write for eight hours a day to write a book. Mm -hmm. It's actually for me, I found it was impossible to sit down and write for eight hours a day. So even during that summer when I wasn't working, after about two hours, your neck really starts to hurt and you're hungry and you lose your train of thought. And I would just give it up and maybe go back after dinner with a glass of wine and reread what I had written and mostly cringe. But I just tried to go easy on myself. And I thought I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I Oh, probably, you didn't? I I, oh, secret. No, I think, I think that in the acknowledgments, I thanked everybody who knew, except for my high school English teacher, who I also thanked. But I, I've told about maybe 10 friends. And otherwise, I just kept it on the QT because I have a habit of starting to knit a blanket, spending $300 on yarn, <laughs> and then not finishing the blanket. So I thought this book might really end up being one of those blankets. Better to keep it to myself. I think though that's extraordinary discipline, the 40 minutes on the train, because it's a long work day. You get on the train. It'd be just as easy to open People magazine. 
you know, or stare at your phone and, uh, you know, Facebook for 40 minutes on your train. So, uh, you know, that, that is harder. I, I understand how hard that is. What you just described, that is really very disciplined work, even though it was only, you know, 40 minutes here and 40 minutes there. That's a good lesson for people. Thank you. It was, it also just made me realize it's never too late. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 40. If I was going to have written a book, I would have done it by now. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to to realize it's never too late to try something new. And because I had had this experience with my dad who had had his vocal cords removed and wasn't able to speak for those 10 years in between when he died and when I wrote the book, I spent a lot of time thinking about the gift of a voice. And if if you have a voice, you should use it. And I felt like I'd always loved writing and I had always wanted to write something longer. And I just finally got so tired of having that little voice in my head telling me to do it. I, so I just did it. It was a relief. Well, you've definitely created a world in a window opens that I think a lot of women listening to this interview and men can relate to that idea of, you know, trying to do it all, not by really your own choice. You know, you got to go to work, you got to raise the kids, you have to deal with your parents, their issues in marriages, you know, your babysitters leave. And, uh, but you elevate it to a really enjoyable level, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed a window opens. Uh, so what happens now? Do you go, are you doing a couple of some book signings or are you going to be in the area? If we have people listening in the New York, New Jersey area, what, what's on tap next week? You're, yes, well, it comes out I- next August 25th, right? August 25th. Okay. And then on the, tw- on the 26th, I'm doing a reading at Greenlight Books in Brooklyn. And then in uh, on September 2nd, I'm doing a reading in Montclair, New Jersey. And then later in the month, I'm going out to the West Coast and to Cleveland, where my in-laws live and where some of the book is set. Oh, yeah. And, there is a Cleveland. Um, yeah. Cleveland. Yes. Cleveland. I'm, a, I'm a huge... I'm, <laughs> the biggest booster of Cleveland who has never lived there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to a whole bunch of places. I'm so excited to stay in a hotel yeah. and that's the, really the whole, that's the goal. The book that was me. what 40 and, minutes a day just to get remote, yes. remote control to myself. <laughs> Anything for room service. And then I'm coming back and I'll return to my job at Glamour. I'm taking the month of September off. Oh, how nice. And, Great. Um, yeah. Yes, they've been extremely supportive. And I'm now working on another book, which I hope will come out in about a year and a half. Oh, fantastic. Good for you. I mean, that's what they say. You just got to get right on the next one. You can't wait around. So that's fantastic. Is it? Um, can you tell us anything about the next book? Or are you, are you trying to keep this on the QT as well? I'm not trying to be coy, but yeah. the, it's definitely in its opening stages. Okay. I can tell you it is, it's also based in New Jersey and it has a very strong, um, sandwich theme. The owner of, I mean, the, the main character in the book is, um, a deli owner. Her okay. family has owned deli. For three so generations. literally sandwiches, not the sandwich. Literally gen- sandwiches, not okay. the sandwich generation. I really love sandwiches. I'm really yeah. into them and I, and I hate to cook. Book, so I'm not going to be writing a foodie book, but I thought, what is something I'd like to really spend a lot of time thinking about? <laughs> and I thought, what, you know, I just love sandwiches. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But it's the story of a friendship. It's not all about sandwiches. Okay. It's the story of a friendship gone wrong. And mm-hmm. I think actually kind of a frenemy book. Okay. And, um, so we'll, we'll see. Okay. Hopefully it will, it will go smoothly. 
And that is a creative process, people. Hmm, what would I like to research more? Sandwiches. Exactly. Excellent. <laughs> Hotel rooms. That's the other thing I thought when I... I thought you had to know when you started a book. I thought you had to know exactly how it would end. And I thought you had to have an outline. And actually, I'm finding in the writing of this book, I don't I don't have 100% certainty yeah. about where it's going. And that is really liberating. It's, um, it's, it's fun to just be able to let go and create a, an entirely new world. Well, I look forward to the next book. I wish you all the luck in the world with this one. The book is A Window Opens. It's available uh, Tuesday, August 25th. There, are, I will put lots of links at SatelliteSisters.com and on our Facebook page to Elizabeth's author page. So if you want to check her out at a signing in the New York, New Jersey, or Cleveland area, come on, <laughs> Cleveland, uh, she, will, she will be there. Elizabeth, thanks for being with us on Satellite Sisters. Enjoy your September. Enjoy Leanne, your experience. Thank you. Enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. You heard it here, people. 40 minutes a day. That's all it takes. A novel can be yours in a year. Uh, I hope that was inspirational. I enjoyed talking to Elizabeth Egan. The book is A Window Opens. She mentioned her book tour on the West Coast, and I know we have a lot of Satellite Sister listeners in these cities, so I want to draw your attention to the fact that she'll be in San Francisco, September 22nd at Book Passage. She's going to be in Santa Rosa, California at Copperfield. She'll be at Powell's uh, Cedar Hills Crossing in Portland, Oregon on September 23rd, and Elliott Bay Books, of course, in Seattle on September 24th. And then she heads to Cleveland, but uh, that is her schedule thus far on the West Coast. As always, you can find links to everything you need at SatelliteSisters.com. SatelliteSisters.com. Also there, you know, there are links to all the other author interviews we've done this summer in our Satellite Sisters Word Write Festival author interviews. We are wrapping up uh, the Satellite Sister Word Write Festival with none other than Erica Zhang. Right after Labor Day, I'll be talking to Erica Zhang about her new novel, Fear of Dying. And you know what, people? I'm on it. I'm doing a short course in Erica Zhang because I've not even read Fear of Flying. So I can't do that before I talk to Erica Zhang. So I am looking forward to that in early September. Um, Again, everything you need is at SatelliteSisters.com. Thanks to Audible for supporting the Satellite Sisters Word Ride Festival. And we will be back in September with Erica Zhang. Don't forget. Call your satellite sister.